And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast. On a Monday, I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. Thanks for uh, everything last week. Nice week in the numbers, Stripe Show Pod. We appreciate Remember, go out there, subscribe, leave a comment and a ranking. Those go a long ways. We'll be moving into the new studio in a couple weeks here in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. But in the meantime, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. My goodness, a weekend filled of rich content, playing golf. There were comments, storylines. So I had to bring in the man for all the heavy lifting, Will Haskett, PGA Tour Series XM Radio, and he happened to be calling Hoagie and Cantley down the stretch. If you're listening on the radio, Will, great job as always. Thank you for being here. Uh, it was a busy weekend. I mean, it was uh, the Hoagie battle. Jordan Spieth almost fell on a cliff. Harold the third makes the putt of the year. Leona McGuire wins on the LPGA Tour. Yeah. I mean, that's a rising star. I mean, she's got an incredible game. And what she's mm-hmm. done from being a world-class amateur to now being an LPGA champion, first ever from Ireland to do so on the LPGA. I mean, it was, it was a great weekend in golf. And you know I'm a glass-half-full guy. I like to see a lot of the positives. <laughs> and uh, I think that uh, I'm going to have some positive responses for some of your questions about some things and some tweaks. But there was also a, a few head-scratching moments, I think, in uh, print and in commentary from this past week that deserve yeah. our attention yeah we're gonna get to that and i'm probably gonna go that the, the glass is probably a little empty so this will be good this will be a spirited <laughs> stripe show podcast today hoagie cantley uh you were you were calling that group you mentioned yeah. spieth let's start with spieth to me i made the comment um earlier in the week that this is as good as i've seen him swing it it, it really is he's got this kind of funky rehearsal going but he clearly to me when you watch him He's more deliberate in his backswing. He's turning his right hip way better now. The club looks cleaner at the top. He looks confident. This little fade off the tee, which is going a long ways, by the way. He's hitting a yep. power fade, and then he's still able to work the ball both ways, right to left, left to right with his arm. He looks comfortable to me. I think he's in a better spot right now this year than he was with what we saw last year, which was big improvement from the years past. What do you say? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, his ball striking numbers were really good. His ball striking numbers were good all week. We only had shot length on obviously on one of the three golf courses, but we had a lot of him early in the week when we had visuals on him and he was hitting a bunch of greens over at Monterey and at Spyglass and the putter really wasn't behaving until he got the pebble on Saturday and Sunday. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden he was able to run things down. And I know that it was going to be like one of the biggest 36 hole comebacks in the history of golf. Seamus Tower had a lot to do with that because he was 16 under par through two days and then backed the truck up from that point forward. But yeah, you're right. The ball striking looked great. And I would, I, I will yield to your expertise when it comes to the golf swing because watching him with the takeaway and everything it looks like he's doing things travis that are technical but to me what it does did it it looked like it just freed him up to swing the golf club the way that i've always sort of said i think i said it on this podcast before is i feel like jordan speed is one of those guys that certainly has to work with cameron and get technical and do the things he needs to do to, to shorten things up but he's a guy who relies so much on feel and emotion and adrenaline. And I just wanted him to go out and feel golf shots. But I sort of feel like what he's doing technically is, all right, make sure I set myself up in this position and then go hit golf shots. Think about what Michael Greller told him on 16. When he harkens back to the hole out from the year before and says, let's just do what we did last year. Yeah. I mean, that's not a, hey, let's worry about technical. That's, look, you're going to sling it in here. Let's hit this mm-hmm. big old hook in here right to left with some hook spin on it and see if we can get it close to the hole. And, you know, he ends up executing a pretty good shot there. Didn't make the birdie, but it was still, you know, one of those sort of moments where it's like, oh, this is it. Like, let's get Jordan back to feeling golf shots 
And I don't know technically what we're sort of seeing in that little, I mean, it's a full swing rehearsal. I mean, oh, he's yeah. taking it all the way back yeah. on all the full swing clubs. I, I don't know if that's just freeing him to be the feel player that I think he always has been. I just think he's further along. I think they struggled in trying for really a couple of years, better part of two and a half, three years. They tried to, you know, get his backswing better and the stuff that they were doing just wasn't translating. He was thinking, but not getting the result. Then they reverse engineered and they just said, all right, forget about that. Let's just go to impact and hit a fade. Yeah. That kind of got him going and the club looked, you know, let's face it awful at the top. It was way laid off, but he was getting back to impact and he was, and he was going and he was building confidence. So you have to go with that. You know, it's kind of a bumpy, it could be a little scary proposition, but you just have to go with it because the player is being more instinctive. Now in the offseason, they come back, you can see the club looks better at the top and he's still instinctive and he's got this rehearsal going that is working. I mean, it's, it's, you can see him turning his hip better. You can see the club, you know, getting a little bit more stacked up and I would probably bet feels more across the line to him. And then from there, he's still able to hit a shot. So they've got the right stuff going. And now they just have to kind of keep going down this path. It does look like he's thinking. I thought early in the week, I sent Aaron Omahoser a text. I said, man, it still looks like he's thinking a ton. And he says, you know, he pro he's trying to let it go. I think he's further along than what it's implying. Yeah. And I think that really is the case. So it's good to see um, what's really fascinating. And of course, Hoagie and Spieth have known each other uh, for a long time. But you look at Tom Hoagie. This is a guy that 203 starts now, gets his first win. His golf swing, speaking of golf swings, is very unusual. I mean, it's a, it's a very unusual swing. The way he turns his right hip is exactly probably what Spieth is trying to do. And he kind of he dips. Like, you don't see many players on tour. When they go back, they go down. You know, they're all, in today's game, they're all going up. up and he kind of goes down. So it's really an interesting move. And really, as I, as I was putting my notes together this morning, Will, Last Sunday was about two guys that were able to be more comfortable late on a Sunday. Tom Hoagie, 32 years of age, gets his first win. Harold Varna III over in Saudi Arabia, 31 years of age. Not a PGA Tour win. He's got 172 starts, so it's a similar type of time frame sure. here. But Varner, Werner, birdie 17, makes the eagle on 18. He's struggled late on Sundays. Tom Hoagie, birdie 16 and 17. He struggled late on Sundays. The two guys get it done. That's pretty cool. It is very cool. I, I, I want to see if that translates for HV3 on yeah. the PGA Tour because it's been pretty ugly, Travis, when he's been near the top of the lead mm -hmm. on Sundays. And, and I, I didn't realize this note until Tom Hoagie led after 18 holes. That was his seventh time having a lead after 18 holes of a PGA Tour event when he led on Thursday. Now, it was the first time he ever had the outright lead. So he went yeah. from being the outright leader on Thursday to the winner on Sunday. Again, Seamus Power had a lot to do with that for everybody in between. But the previous six times he had shared the lead, Hoagie never finished top 25. I mean, think about that. You get off yeah. to a rapid start, and you can't even get that bad boy across the line in the top 25 position, and he goes to win it. He talked a lot about mistakes that he had made in the past, I've been with him in final rounds before where, you know, there was just one bad swing here. It's missing in the spot that you absolutely couldn't miss in when you have to be close to dang perfect down the stretch on Sunday to win on the PGA tour. And I think back to the shots that he hit yesterday, even with adrenaline and the moment he hit shots 
that you're going to look back on and say, well, that was aggressive, but it really wasn't. It was just proper course management and understanding his misses from years past. So 16, he's aiming middle of the green. If he doesn't turn it over, it's middle of the green. The contours are going to work. He's got a 20-footer. Instead, it works a little bit. He turns it over slightly. It spins. It's a kick in for birdie. 17, he pulled it. But guess where he started that ball? He started it right at the neck of that little par three green, which meant if he pulled it, he's still going to find the left side of the green. And he did. And he bonus birdie. He rolls in a 21-footer, which sort of seals the deal in all of it. Where does Tom Hoagie hit that shot three years ago on a Sunday? I'm not saying he was going to take dead aim back then, but was he truly thinking through, feeling comfortable in the type of swing, picking mm-hmm. a spot that then he knows is going to lead to that? And he's mentioned it. It just he made mistakes, and he didn't want to make those mistakes again. And he and Henry Diana, his caddy, sort of worked through all that. And he seemed so unaffected when it was all said and done by the moment, because I think it happened so quickly. Like he was chasing Jordan Spieth until all of a sudden he was in a lead that he knew he probably wasn't going to lose. And it's really easy to then lay up your way to a five, you know, on yeah. 18 at Pebble Beach, right. which is what he was able to do. Like how different it would have felt if he gets there and he's one back of Jordan or tied with Jordan or only one clear of Bo Hostler feeling like he needs to squeeze a birdie out instead of just, you know, slapping it up the fairway and, you know, having to make a three and a half footer, which was the nerviest shot that he had in the last hour of that. So I think it's, it's interesting how he learns. I'm going to be interested to see if, if it works for HV3. Remember, he went in Australia a few years ago, and we thought this is going to be the catalyst for Harold Barner, and it still hasn't led to that sort of alpha mm-hmm. cockiness on Sunday that he needs. Will this do it for him? I, I don't know. Like rolling a 100-footer doesn't happen very often. No. I'm like, whoa, he yeah. won. It would be really right. interesting if that butt ends up five feet from the hole and he needs it to get into a playoff. Like how different the narrative would have been if that ball doesn't go in from 100 feet. <laughs> yeah, you, you could stand there all day and not make that putt. Absolutely. Uh, man, it was perfect. Just over that crest coming down. We'll, we'll get, we're going to get, we have more to discuss um, with the Saudi international that was over there. The first event on the Asian tour of four that are scheduled uh, at this point. But I want to I stay with um, the AT&T here for a minute. So this tournament, all right, well, let me put it this way. This, this tournament, more than any other tournament on the PGA Tour, um, is the one that bothers me the most, which is kind of weird to say, right? Because it's at Pebble Beach. But it just feels tired to me. This tournament, it feels old, and it feels mm-hmm. tired. And where we're going with this sport, this one sticks out like a sore thumb, uh, a, a sore thumb to me. Mark Kalkovecchia made a tweet. He said, I love Bill Murray. He's a great guy. Love his movies. Phenomenal actor. I'm paraphrasing. You know, just all the credit in the world to Bill Murray. The things that he does for the game. But he says, I am so tired of his act on the golf course. It's just, it's ran its course, right? Alfonso Ribeiro. I love the guy. Love him. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, one of my (laughs) favorite. That dance was funny like 15 years ago. Yeah. Now that we've seen, it's like, okay. I mean, it's like, it feels like a rerun to me. You know, the old re- classic reruns, like a rerun of Friends, you know, or even this tournament feels like a rerun of MASH. They feel yeah. old. I've seen it. I've done it. I responded to the calc. I said, this tournament is tired. And then it just kind of took off from there. People were like, ah, da, 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 you know, but a lot of people agreed with me, Will. I was surprised. Like I did the poll on Twitter and do you agree or not agree? 75% agreed on Twitter. All right. Now on Instagram, my biggest following, it was 
63% the other way. Yes. So they didn't. And yes. in, in the Facebook, you lost more of that. So it's like the yes. older you get, the more you like the tournament. The younger you are, you're like, no, this, this isn't for me. For me, I probably fit in between. Like, you know, I'm 44, middle-aged guy. Feels tired to me. It just feels tired, old to me. What do you say? Uh, it's tired because players don't need to play with celebrities anymore to get more exposure. So in that aspect, the idea of a pro-am isn't as relevant as it once was when Bing Crosby came up with it, because when Bing Crosby came up with it, Bing Crosby was infinitely more popular and known than the professional golfers with which he was trying to you know, connect them with. So for years, the celebrities were actually helping to enhance the PGA Tour product, the PGA Tour players themselves, and the tournament themselves. And now you have players there this week in Jordan Spieth, who is already more popular than most of the celebrities and certainly mm-hmm. more well-known than many of the, the, the big bankroll CEO types that are at this event. You know, if we just removed Bill Murray from this and it was Josh Allen and it was, you know, the rappers that were there, Schoolboy Q and Macklemore and some of these guys, and we sort of shifted to a younger demo from a golf standpoint, I can see it having a bit more of a thing. But here's the thing, Travis. Last year, I haven't seen the numbers yet this year. Last year, Saturday at Pebble Beach registered as the highest non-major weekend Saturday telecast of the entire year on the PGA Tour. So your Instagram followers are tuning in to watch Saturday CBS at Pebble more than they're going to be tuning in to watch Saturday on CBS from Wells Fargo or Saturday on CBS from even this week at WM. So it still has marketing and drive appeal mm-hmm. to, peop- to people that are out there. And it's different. So if we're going to play 48 tournaments a year, it's going to be different. Now, yeah. if you want to say, are we wasting a venue like Pebble? Because Pebble in and of itself sort of sells itself. It's like, it's why people are tuning in to watch the Tournament of Champions every year because we want to see the whales breaching or frozen in in most of the country. And it just has that sort of natural homecoming to us that we get to see. And so would this tournament have the same resonating if it was a regular sort of tour stop and the same sort of celebrities maybe not i mean pebble in itself is probably the biggest celebrity in this i don't think it's broken i do think you could qualify it as a little bit tired and then it goes into the other part of it of the field which i laughed at the whole week like well look at all the guys playing in saudi the field is terrible at pebble and we had jordan speed trying to hold off patrick cantlay with a first-time winner in between them, I don't really think that the tour was struggling when it when it came down to it in terms of getting guys to draw because one of the five most influential golfers in terms of people tuning in, Jordan Spieth, was relevant down the stretch. So I, I think a lot of it's much ado about nothing. I think some things violate our own individual sense of sensitivities, and then because of that, we think that the whole thing is broken. I don't think it's broken. I think it could be tweaked. I think it could be better but I think it still won the day. And I'll be really curious to see if the ratings numbers validate that. Yeah, no, I think, I don't think it's broken. I think it's tired. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying the whole thing. Tired. Sure. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's, that it's completely needs to go away, but it it is, it does feel tired to me. And yeah, there, you know, the TV audience, that core audience of the PGA tour uh, tunes into it uh, for the most part. It'll be interesting to see where it was this weekend. Spieth saved it. This weekend, there's no question sure. him being there. Can't lay. Yeah, he's a he's a star, but he's nowhere near Jordan Spieth. So it it 
you know, I think they lucked out to some degree uh, with Jordan Spieth be there, and that's going to drive their ratings up. It's Pebble Beach, though, Will. I mean, this is Pebble Beach. And the fact that, you know, we're only seeing it really twice, barely even seeing it once, because the coverage, it's tough. I, I don't know how they do it with three different courses. I'm not criticizing CBS. It's, I mean, there's a lot going on. There's three different yep. courses, and you're trying to piece this thing together. It's a mark, or it's a gambling nightmare. You know, there's shot link on one course. It's tough to really handicap this type of facility. All right, that's last the week, entire first half of the year. It's always going to, like, we don't have enough daylight to give 156 guys or 144 guys opportunities to play. So like, yeah. we're going to have two, three course rotations until we catch up with the sun. Like, it's just, it is what it is. Like, I mean, I, I want to make it better for people. I, I totally do. But I think the one thing I do, like Pebble Beach is the star or can be the star yeah. of this thing. So if, if we took the same celebrity field and we put them in Palm Springs two weeks earlier, does that elevate that tournament even more? You get a little bit more value out of the pro-am side. And if you turn this into just a stroke play event, you still have to do it on at least two golf courses. So you're going to have half the field, you know, playing Monterey and Spyglass, whatever it might end up being. Would that change? I, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. I think you're going to lose a little audience on Saturday because people are you know, accustomed to tuning in and watching Bill Murray and whoever else is out there, you know, doing silly things because like it or not, a lot of people who are paying our salaries aren't watching day in and day out and carrying 48 weeks out of the year. They're, they're tuning into the few times when they know what they're going to expect. And they expect that right now from this tournament at Pebble. And that may end up aging itself out totally. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to age itself out. I mean, I think is that audience that is watching that um, is not there in the next 10 years. And that was my thing is like, okay, I think this is the one in the next five to 10 years that has to be looked at. But what right? if the and other how, athletes how take ownership of it? Tom Brady is now retired. What if Tom Brady and Peyton Manning become yeah. annual participants at this well, Where was Peyton Manning this year? Them? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, I don't know if it times out because of where we are in the football schedule or yeah. anything like that. I mean, we, it used to be, that you get this after the Super Bowl, and then all of a sudden you had all these guys, and they're in their sort of off season. And I don't know how that sort of changes things. But if we get if we get other people, and it sort of becomes this the sports world descends on Pebble, and it's the combination of all of these sort of stars. I mean, Canelo Alvarez was. I mean, how many how many people from Mexico or Mexican Americans tuned in because they wanted to see Canelo Alvarez? Like, I don't know what that value is. You and I yeah. are talking about it as diehard golf watchers. Yeah. I don't know how many people wanted to see Canelo teeing it up in this tournament. Maybe there were tens of thousands of people who were interested in seeing him swing it on 17. That has value. Yeah, I mean, we can't, we can't register. So, I mean, I think there's still potential in it to sort of make it a this is golf moment of combining with all of the other sports. And you bring these athletes together to play with one another. Yeah, but you're doing a tournament at Pebble Beach, right? And like that golf course on Sunday was spectacular. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, you have one of the best golf courses in the world. Why aren't we playing it four days? It'd be like, hey, let's play the Players' Championship, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to play the Valley, and then we're going to go across the street and play Sawgrass Country Club, too. They're great courses. Phenomenal. Yeah. Beautiful. See the ocean. Yeah. Right? And it's like, why would you do that? We have TPC State. You know, like, you have Pebble Beach. It's Pebble Beach. It's right It's it's right there with, with the Augusta. I mean, I, I just – like what? I mean, I don't know. I, I just I deserve. I, I felt like, and I sent a text to Aaron Olmoser. I was like, "Man, Pebble deserves better than this." Like I get it. Like you're making good points. I, I tend to agree with a lot of them, but it's like Pebble deserves better than this. Like there's nobody there. Spee saved them. 
the, the field just continues to get worse because they don't want to play with the celebrities. They don't want to play over three courses. They don't want to play six hour rounds. Like that's why. All right. So, so what happens is, is like, okay, Tory Pines now is elevated. Riviera is elevated. It's Pebble Beach. The only time we get to see Pebble Beach for four rounds is the U.S. Open. And it's awesome. And it yields yeah. great champions. And it was awesome on Sunday. And I'm like, God, really? I don't, dis- I don't disagree with you. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand that the modern professional golfer, too, is dictating this sort of decline in, in, um, in participation. Like, it's just it, the system itself has changed. And yeah. you're right. I don't disagree with that. But we, I don't think we've aged out of it. I, I think that we no, can say that Steve saved it, but guess what? There's going to be one or two stars there every year, and those stars in a weaker field are going to rise to the top. We've sort of seen that. Like, we knew that we were going to get Spieth and Cantlay probably near the top of the board because that's just kind of how it worked out. They didn't have competition around them to sort of val- to validate to the top. So it's like, I don't think it's aged out yet. I do think we should look for ways to sort of strengthen it. But as your sort of social media polling showed, like we right. haven't reached, I don't think we've reached that point yet. No, no, I don't think we have. I don't think broken, but I just think in the next five years, there's going to have to be something there. Now there has been stars that have saved it. We've seen it. Yeah, for sure. But you know, Ted Potter jr. Wins here. Yeah. DA points. God, good guys. Don't get me wrong. Good guys. 300 to one shots. Yeah. Um, Taylor, like Pebble. Um, Pebble will throw weather at you. And then all of a sudden you get anybody in anybody's game. Like this week it was perfect. And so you yeah. had, I mean, let's be honest, Tom Hoagie's been playing top 25 type yeah, golf yeah. over the last two months. So the sure. cream rose to the top of the guys in the field in terms of where it was at the end. But I, I think that you can still make this format interesting and work. It's just going to take new blood. It's, I mean, yeah. you know, Clint Eastwood's not going to be around 15 years from now to sort of to sort of drive this. So it's going to be a new generation of celebrity, I think, combining with a new generation of golfer to figure out what this tournament looks like. And I think it can be fresh. But I think the format will still work. I do. I really do. I think you made a good point, and I want to move on here to Saudi, but I think Pebble's the star, clearly yeah. now, because the field has depleted. Um, Not Pebble anymore, thanks star. to Saudi. It's going to get better in the next couple of years. They got to <laughs> play it now. Here we go. <laughs> All right, let's move it. Let's move it over to the Saudi International, right? Because this was our first look at the LIV Investment Group, who got all these people over there, all these players, DJ and Phil and Harold Varna III, Bubba Watson, Cameron Smith, Jason Kokrat, Kevin Na, down, et cetera, et cetera. And they all got a little sum of money to come over and play, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they went over and play, and they um, obviously looked past the AT&T. And, and, and this tournament was specifically put this week for a reason, yeah. right? Because they knew they could draw these guys over because they don't like playing in that event anyway. We just covered the reasons. Correct. Um, and I hate to say this, but... It could be potentially the best finish of the year. Damn it. I mean, Harold Varner making that putt, that was pretty cool. The reaction, the whole bit, I mean, wherever that was in the world. That yeah. Now, you would never know it because, like, it was, like, super exciting watching because the energy coming from the TV screen was, like, it's, it's unwatchable. It's unwatchable. It is. It's, like, it's unwatchable. It's boring, the, the, the energy coming through that TV screen. Man, secondly, on site. Was secondly, there any energy on site? It didn't seem like there was any secondly, there's there. no one there. There's no one there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's late on Sunday and there's 150 people. So I don't know that, that, that that's something, right? Okay. Here's, we're going to do this and this and this It's going to be awesome. But, but all right, here's, okay, here's your stand. Let's see it. 
I mean, you know, like, all right. You know, all right. So you got those guys over there. Um, and this is their opportunity. I mean, the main thing here is they can wine and dine them and give them their spill, right? I mean, a lot of these players, I'm sure, were pitched some money. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. Blah, 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 blah. Rumor has it, $130 million to, to Bryson DeChambeau to be um, the face of this. That's a rumor. Sure. He denied it. Um, you know, Ian Poulter, a lot of money. DJ had some funny quotes. But yeah, yeah my, mine might have been a little bit more. You know, it, it was, there, was a, <laughs> there was some money being offered. Let's put it that way, yeah. right? What do you think, Kevin? You think you think some players are going to walk out and they're like, "Yeah, sounds good to me. Let's go." Someone's going to sign. The first person is going to sign here in the next week. No, I don't think okay. it'll be in the next week because I think that there's. I'm imagining that. Again, who knows? Is this really just we have a ton of money and we think we can throw a bunch of money around and make this happen, or is there true strategic planning that's taken place to this point? And mm-hmm. I think it's a combination of the two. And I think throwing absurd money around, seeing the reaction, listening to that, dealing with the agents, hearing what they say, probably leads to strategic planning of what their next steps need to be. Uh, Put a pin in that for a second. If we can say that Jordan Spieth saved Pebble Beach, can we say that Harold Barnes III saved that golf tournament? It's pretty much the same thing, right? I mean, people are tuning in to see what these guys might do. But at the end of the day, the only reason why that tournament's going to be memorable for the rest of time is because of Harold making that putt on 18. So it's this, it's in a lot of respects, you had two tournaments that probably could have had a full dud of a week and both of them get a sort of perfect Sunday storm to give them relevance in the talking space when it's all said and done. But back to your question, there's so many things that go into this. Um, what are they going to be allowed to play afterwards? It's the Ian Poulter reporting out there is that, he's going to have to give up the right to be a Ryder Cup captain or have any involvement with the Ryder Cup moving forward if he takes that money. Now, if Ian Poulter is looking at that sum of money, it's probably a bigger chunk of change than he can realistically make on the golf course at this stage of his career moving forward, correct? So it's like, I understand the value, but the biggest thing is where is your place in the world of golf beyond just that money? Mm-hmm. In Poulter's case, it's this is the end of career opportunity to get really fat and healthy. For a younger guy, it is, okay, I'm going to get really fat and healthy for the rest of my career, but where does it leave me for playing majors? Now that part of the Asian tour, you're going to get world golf ranking points. It was a you know 50 points to HV3, I think, for winning this past week yep. compared to 37 for Tom Hoagie winning it. But that's a one-off event, and it really depends on how many of these guys you can bring along to allow these tournaments to be relevant enough to where a guy like that's going to actually be able to accrue enough points to play in things. And I actually posed this question on Twitter last week, Travis, is that you had some guys in that field that could have won that golf tournament. And you would have been like, who? Like, how'd this guy win? If you're really going to appease the 20 or 30 guys, you have to throw a ton of money at, do you sacrifice the potential full body strength of field to make sure that those guys are winning every week? Or do you risk the chance of paying a bunch of these guys and then having up and coming players on the Asian tour winning 60%, 70% of tournaments and diluting this idea that you've created this super league of golfers. It's a really interesting conundrum to be in because if you're there paying this amount of money to market that you're going to have DJ and Bryson and whoever else battling it out down the stretch. And instead you get a 22 year old from Sri Lanka 
who's a really good player yeah. playing really well. Like, what does that do to your product? Because the PGA Tour can run into that problem from time to time where a Tom Hoagie beats a Jordan Spieth. But right now, the 50th best player in the AT&T field is way better than the 50th best player in the Saudi, in the Saudi international field. Very so true. Do you keep that field diluted? Or do you have to strengthen it to appease these guys that you're paying? This is where the strategic planning still has yeah. to sort of line up. And I don't know where they are in that right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the number one agenda here is sports washing, right? Of what's happened over in, in, in Saudi Arabia. And the word that keeps being thrown around here is leverage, right? That's, that's the word that players now these higher profile players like a phil mickelson who's had a lot to say now and has had a lot to say in the last really handful of years on a number of issues but it's the leverage aspect now that the players higher profile players have for the very first time because there is a competitor in the room that has a lot of money and that's without the money there is no competitor they have the money they're spending some money to, as they did this last week, to draw people over. So it's a real threat. And the PGA Tour has already stepped up to the plate and has started to change some things, which I think, as I've said many times in the podcast, competition is a good thing generally. It's going to make you look at your business structure and it's going to make you think differently. And I think the tour has, and I think they have made some adjustments, starting with padding some of the higher profile players, right? Phil Mickelson just made an $8 million bonus about a month ago from the PIP program, because he was first. That money would never existed before, and he's since pocketed it, but he also signed the back of a check to go over to Saudi Arabia, as he did, and he was one of the first to do that uh, a couple years ago, and that's his right, but what's going to come down to that if they elect to go down that path, uh, to your point? But with leverage, to me, Will, comes you know responsibility, right? Like, okay, so how are you going to handle this leverage now? And for And Phil, how much are you going to value your legacy here at the age of 51, as Tiger said, my legacy is with the PGA Tour. Well, same with Phil, right? I mean, 45 wins, six major championships, 10th, 11th, 12th greatest player of all time, wherever you see him fitting in, World Golf Hall of Fame, second best player of our generation, absolute magic adored by most in this country and across the world. And now all of a sudden, with this leverage, Phil has decided to do a couple things. One, draw himself closer to this group in Saudi Arabia, right? Because he knows that as long as the money's out, then there's competition. He has leverage. He knows that. And, and right. then Saudi knows that Phil's a high-profile player. It's a big thing. And we can use that to somewhat of our advantage in what we're trying to do. So, it's a, so Phil's kind of drawn closer over there. Um, but I also think with that, now he's decided, Will, to start bashing the PGA Tour. And And this is where things now really start to get interesting. And he said a lot of things in his interview with golf digest, which you need to go read um, with John Huggin. One of them is he accused the PGA tour of obnoxious greed, right? That was the biggest thing. And I almost, I, I, I laughed out loud at first. Like did Phil really just accuse someone of greed (laughs) first and foremost, because Phil more than any other player will. More than you should not be accusing anybody of great. I mean, we can go down a list of things here. Um, so he's, he's now starting to go down a path. that's like, Whoa, is this really, is this really where Phil wants to go in in the way that he wants to take the responsibility of handling this leverage? 
Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, you threw out the twenty billion dollar you know amount, which I I still I mean I'm with Sally at no laying up. Like, where are we getting twenty billion from in this idea that this is how much money is has been taken from the players in their digital rights in their personal media rights? Uh, it's I, I Travis, I really don't even know where to begin on it all. I mean, 55% yeah. of tour revenue goes back into the purses to pay the players. It's a nonprofit organization, and people can roll their eyes all they want about that. And I totally get and understand why people sort of laugh off of that idea. But the structure of the tour is still based on these independently owned and run tournaments through the course of the year. In conjunction now with the tour, there's a lot more oversight than there was 30 years ago when it comes to the tour and how they're helping and working with these tournaments to do things. But there's still all of these little organizing groups and there's huge charitable opportunities. I mean, this past week, $200 million now for the Monterey Peninsula Foundation. It's the number one, I think, charitable organization on tours. The tour has given away over $3.3 billion, I think it is, when it's all said and done. So a lot of that money that greedy money yeah. is going back out to meet, meet the standards of this sort of the nonprofit sort of organization. Could the, could that percentage that goes back to the players go up to 60%, 65%, 70%, 75%. I'm sure there's an accountant that can figure out a way to sort of do that, but there isn't a reputable professional sports organization out there that is giving away all of their rights to their product, to the individuals to turn it into the wild, wild west of how, you know, it can be run. It's it's sort of like the, the NIL situation now in college sports is that you have yeah. all these um, enlightened athletes who are recognizing that they are being used to provide a value that they're not being compensated for. But at what point in time does a professional golfer recognize that his or her value to the organization is returning money? Is that ratio skewed for a Phil Mickelson? Absolutely it's skewed for a Phil Mickelson. But that it goes back to your question about responsibility is how much is Phil responsible for the growth, the health of his organization of which he's a member of the PGA tour and what that does to provide the future Phil Mickelson's or lesser Phil Mickelson's of the world playing opportunities and are an opportunity to have a rich and fulfilling life playing golf. It's just a very, it's a very difficult place. And, and I, I completely understand both sides of one side, you know, wanting to protect the whole the individuals, mm -hmm. wanting to look out for what's best for them. And somewhere in the middle, there's probably the perfect solution. So you have this leverage play that goes back and forth and back and forth. Uh, I think Peter Jacobson said it after the round on Sunday when he was asked about it or Saturday when he was done. And he said, really what's driving all this are agents. And the agents are the ones that are really pushing for all of these things. And what do agents want? More money for their client so they can take their cut and i say that with all due respect to all of my fine agent friends that are out there but i think he, he made a point there it's like we're when you're tasked with thinking about yourself and yourself only we lose sight on what we can do to bring everybody forward there's a way for the tour to win there's a way for phil to win together and right now we're just sort of throwing stones across the, the ravine at each other well i don't think it was phil's agent i think this is phil i mean well all yeah, of this I mean, yeah i mean this yeah. is this is straight Phil Mickelson, right? And and he's the only one that's out there criticizing to this degree what the PGA Tour is doing. And for 30 years, Phil's had the option to play wherever he wants. He's one of the best players in the world. He could have went and played the European Tour. He could have went and played in Australia. He could have went and played in Asia. He can do whatever he wants, but he elected to play in the PGA Tour. Why? 
because it's where the most money is. And it's where he could maximize his brand with sponsorships that he has done and make more money. Now, all of a sudden. He's been very good at it. He's been very good at it. And he's still relevant today at 51. And like, he's been very good at it. Phil likes to be the smartest man in the room. We know that. I don't think he always is, but I think he is smart. I mean, Phil has some savvy here when it comes to this. I don't think his, he's handling this leverage very well. And I just think that it's kind of a track record of, of things that we've seen with Phil over the last few years. I mean, you go back just to, uh, you know, the, the situation with the USGA and 46 inches on the driver, he'd lashed out at them, you know, and now here he is with the PGA tour. He's lashing out at them. Do you think he'll be allowed to use a 48-inch driver on the new tour? Could he use a longer driver? (laughs) I'm sure. I mean, and if he couldn't, then I'm sure he'll lash back out at them. (laughs) You know, like that's kind of where we are like these days. It's like if we don't get our way, then we go to Twitter and we lash out. You know, and that's kind of where, you know, this is like a reoccurring pattern here with Phil. But my point is, is Phil's had, you know, you can go play wherever you want, you know, but you can't have it all. Like that's the bottom line. You can't have it all. And you can negotiate and there's a way to do that and have leverage. Like you said, sometimes it's on either side. We see it with every sports league, every sports league. Right. This negotiation back and forth. It's not, even when it is perfect, it's not perfect. There's all, gosh, I can't believe We got to do this. We, you know, there's always that. But I just think it's really disingenuous after signing the check for $8 million, and then going over to Saudi, getting yourself more aligned over there. And we all know what the human rights issues, what's going on over there. Like, and now you're going to come back and you're going to bash the platform that's allowed you to build your brand for the last 30 years. I lost a little bit of respect there. I got, I got to, I got to, I got to tell you, I just, I don't, I don't understand that. Um, and to me, things are moving a little too quickly here. Is it really worth it? a couple million here or there at the age of 51, when maybe you should be kind of winding down a little bit. But for Phil, I think the ego right now is so big. He doesn't want to wind down. Like he wants to be relevant. He wants to be the smartest man in the room and he wants to be the headline. And I think he's just willing to do it at any cost at this point. That's what appears to me. And scorching earth for the sake of individual leverage is what I think kind of, chaps me the most about it is yeah. that there's a level of misinformation and then you're seeding public um distrust in an organization and don't get me wrong like any large organization pga tour the stripe show network all of us we have you know we yeah. have our moments of where things could be better things could be yeah. tighter things yeah. could be more transparent there are always sort of issues but being is calculated um, and you know, it shouldn't be surprising in 2022 that you know you throw something out there that may be factually inaccurate, whether you are you know it or you know that you're sort of bending the truth a little bit to sort of make that point a little bit stronger. But you're right. I think at this stage, as an ambassador of all things, especially as someone who's been an ambassador of, of the PGA Tour for that long, um, that to me is is is, is kind of with you. Like that's where it is. Like if it's a leverage play, fine. It's a leverage play. Like the guys are getting richer because of the leverage play yeah. of the last two or three years it's business uh, but it was yeah i think it was maybe a, a slight crossing of the line when it came to okay what are you talking about right because now you're just creating an image of something that's just not accurate and i mean who knows maybe he's just planting his own seeds to be like this is why i'm walking to take a, a fat paycheck and my final act is a professional golfer on the public stage yeah i think yeah yeah 
I think in the end, I call his bluff. I think the PGA Tour is doing enough. I think they've made some adjustments. I, I don't, you know, I think there's going to be more that has, there's going to be more happening. At least this is just my feel, and I don't know this, but we saw the PIP. Why was the PIP put in place to reward the higher profile players? Um, the the FedEx Cup, more money in that. Why is that? To reward the higher profile players. Yep. WGCs reward the higher pro like you're you know there's 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 more of this coming and i think it's i think it's fair i really do i think that there is that money at least a lot of it needs to be pushed to some of these higher profile players because this star driven league um we just talked about it spieth if he's not there it's a different story totally. you know at at&t so I think they're doing some they're doing some good things there. There's no way in hell they're giving up the collective media rights. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's no like, one can you does. imagine? Like, no one gives up their media. I mean, <laughs> what the hell is he talking it'd, about? It'd be the total wild, wild west. I mean, it, just, it wouldn't happen. Like, could you imagine if everybody had full control to do whatever they wanted to do with it? Like, it's not even it's not even a greed standpoint. It's just a it's just a managing of your own brand. I mean, it's a it's a smart business move across the board. It has nothing. I mean, it does have. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can market it. You can make money off of it. But no organization is doing that now. Could the, could you find ways to be more creative in sharing that information of put of pumping it out there of working with media teams to sort of do more? I mean, look what the NBA's done. I mean, they give away their content on YouTube in a lot of respects, and it's really endeared them to a younger generation. My son wakes up every morning and watches eleven minute highlight clips of John Morant from last night. Like he can easily access, you know, media of his favorite player a lot easier than he can if it was his favorite golfer. But that that's not John Morant. John Morant's not making money and posting YouTube videos in the middle of the night. That's the NBA finding its way path <laughs> forward. Like, mm -hmm. no, it's, you've got to, you can look at it better and smarter, but no, you're not just giving it back to them and then figuring out what they're going to do with it. Oh my gosh. Can yeah. you imagine the memes and the TikTok? Oh, it'd be, it'd be insane. <laughs> you would never be able to play the golf course in a practice no. round for crying out loud. No. You're like 11 boom camera out there and you got these guys sets and it's like, what in the hell is going on? You know? I mean, yeah. anyway, good discussion, man. You, you always make me think. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's important these days, right? You, you know, it's one thing to come down on one side or the other, but you know, you have to be able to kind of hear it out and think about it. Right. And, and try to find resolution in the end waste management's this week. Talk about a difference a week makes on the PGA Tour. We go from reruns of MASH <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to Big Bird in the audience, in the gallery on 16. I got to admit, I love seeing Big Bird in the gallery on 16. I love it. <laughs> Just, There's a stage this year. They're going to have concerts, like during tournament concerts. Let's go. Oh, man. You know, it, hey. It just, it's, it's really easy. I mean, I'll, I'll just finish with this. It's really easy these days, right? And on Twitter to go out there and just the PGA Tour is like the punching bag, right? Hey, guys, you need to do this. Yeah, but, but, but. Like, it's like, it's like PGA Tour is doing just fine. <laughs> you know, like they're doing just fine. They operated a super season, 50 tournaments during a pandemic. Yeah. Right. They were one of the first to get back out there with COVID. Like they're doing just fine, folks. Like there's some smart people here. Are they, is there some things they could maybe do a little different? Could the website be a little better? Could you, yeah. all right. Like, like you said, there's always something, right? Always something. But 
at the end of the day, like there's, there's a lot of good stuff happening in professional golf. And one of those is this week, the Waste Management Phoenix Open, which is a complete 180 from what we saw last week in many regards. And they got a nice field. You know, Rom's there. Cantley's playing. Justin Thomas is playing. Hovland. Tom Hoagie is going to be there. Taylor Gooch, defending champion. Brooks Kepka, Sammy Burns, Spieth, Matsuyama. Right? I mean, this is, this is going to be a good field. Phil is not playing. Mm. So... There's that, but waste management, Phoenix open, always fun. Weather, you know, is going to be perfect. It's one of my favorite places, Scottsdale, Arizona. And this man is going to be in the number one seat on Sirius XM radio. And Will, I've heard you do it before. And I tweeted right after. I was like, you're great at it. You really are. And I just won't smoke up your ass. Like I I genuinely mean it. So hopefully you got more of these coming because you deserve to be in that number one seat more. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a raucous one. Can't wait to, uh, to bring the action to everybody. And to your point, uh, you know, you look at it last week, celebrities, big courses, all the hullabaloo that comes with that. This week, you get all the hullabaloo that comes with the fans and the party. And then next week, you go to Riviera, where it's a little calmer, quiet, great venue, great field. And you get to see sort of, I would guess, the standard run of the mill, high level sort of golf tournament. So, yeah, if again, if you're tuning in every week to see the exact type of golf tournament that you want to see, it's not going to happen. I mean, you're talking about touching them all in a three-week span on the PGA Tour. And you go back to Tory. if you want just carnage, if you want guys just bludging it out of four inches worth of rough and breaking wrists and having to, you know, murder the ball over the place just to try and find a way to make par, then you got that too. So I, I love this stretch of golf because there's a little bit of something for everybody. And I'm looking forward to bringing it to the masses where uh, there's no leverage play here. I want everybody in. Everybody come on in and listen. Not, <laughs> yeah. We'll give you everything you want. We will and provide then, you with. And then you come over and then you come over my way here to the East coast in Florida. And then you just start getting beat up with some of these courses over here. You put a little wind on it and you just start getting a head beat baby. (laughs) Honda. Let's go. Bay Hills played tough a couple times the last, um, you know, and then, you know, the stadium course can, um, yeah, they, they, they let them, they let them have it a couple of times and then they, they firm it up usually. By the weekend, but we're in it, man. Like, what are we like 55 days from the Masters or something? I mean, it's we are. Hey, geez, man, it's not far at all. All right, man, I'm gonna let you go. I know you got to prep. Will Haskett at Will Haskett on Twitter. Follow him. Listen this week, PJ Tour Series XM Radio. He'll be hosting the Waste Management Phoenix Open Stripe Show Pod. You're the man. Thanks, Will. Yep.